Muhammad has walked on in the landscape of the ninth of the evil pouches of fraud. That giant circle that makes up the biggest part of lowest hell in Dante's Inferno. Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast, Walking with Dante, a podcast in which we are slow walking passage by passage, line by line, bit by bit, word by word sometimes, through Dante's masterwork comedy. And we are coming to the back of Canto 28 of Inferno. As I've already said, we're in the ninth of the Malabolge, the evil pouches that make up fraud. These are the schismatics and those who throw scandals or stumbling blocks in front of the faithful. And Mohammed was our first candidate up. He brought up a second person, Fra Dolcino. We talked all about that in previous episodes, and now we're waiting for the next guy to show up on the scene. So here we are, Canto 28, line 64 through 90, my English translation. You can find it on my website, markscarbro.com or walkingwithdante.com, where you can even drop a comment. Here's the passage. Another guy who had his throat run through and his nose gashed up to his eyebrows and only a single ear left on his head stopped with the others and gazed at me with wonder. Before anyone else could do it, he pulled open his windpipe, just the spot still stained ruby red with his blood, and said, Hey, you, not condemned. My guilt, I saw you up above on Italian soil. Unless some likeness to you has tricked me. Remember, Pierta Medicina. If you ever go back to see that sweet plane that slopes down from Vercelli to Marcabo. And let the two top guys of funnel, Monsieur Guido and Agnolello, know this. Unless our foresight here is worthless, they'll be thrown off their ship in a weighted sack near Catolica, thanks to the treachery of a menacing tyrant. Between the islands of Cyprus and Majorca, Neptune has never seen such great malfeasance, neither committed by pirates nor by Greeks. The traitor who sees with only one eye and holds the city which someone down here with me wishes he'd never lay his eyes on, we'll bring them all in for detente, and then we'll handle them so that they will never need to pray or make vows to save them from the winds of Fokara. Wow, that was hard on the throat. Sometimes these voices just knock me out. <laughs> I can't believe how much coffee I had to cut out from that to me. To make a whole text go forward. Okay, this is a complicated passage, and it's complicated by the by several reasons, and most of them historical. Let's talk about this passage about Guido and Agnolello, and who this guy is. Who is Pierre da Medicina, who has got his face all hacked up? The passage opens that one more person of all of those who had stopped to look at 
the Pilgrim Dante in Wonder now wants to speak. And we talked a lot about this in the previous episode, the theology of wonder, or we might say in the modern world, the epistemology of wonder. That is how wonder leads out to greater understanding. If you haven't listened to that episode, I really encourage you to go back and listen to episode 172 of this podcast in which that discussion happens because it is crucial to seeing what's ahead of us in this pouch and on down. There is going to come a caveat about wonder in the 10th pouch. But let's just look at this guy first. Notice how brutally slashed open this guy is. He's got his throat run through. He's got his nose gashed up to his eyebrows, so his nose is probably partly off. And he's only got a single ear left on his head. I mean, this guy has really been brutalized terribly. He's stopping, too, in all of his pain and gazing in wonder. And then he's got to pull his windpipe open to speak. This is because, of course, Dante doesn't really know how vocal cords work. He doesn't really know how sound is produced the way we know much more clearly how sound is produced. And so because the air can't get up inside this guy's mouth, he has to pull open his windpipe almost like he's got a trach and he's got to somehow talk through the trach or well, I guess in a trach you hold it closed, right? Well, anyway, this guy opens up his windpipe in order to speak and it's all still very bloody. There's two things we should notice about this. One, it's still very bloody, which leads us to believe that the demon who splits these guys apart isn't so very far behind us if this guy is still stained ruby red. Remember, by the time they make the full circuit of the ninth of the evil pouches, they have healed back together before they get hacked again. Clearly, we're being told essentially that the demon is right behind us. The second thing we should notice is that this guy's hacked in ways that Mohammed and Ali are not hacked. This leads us to the idea that perhaps these schismatics and scandalmongers are hacked in specific ways to suggest their crimes or their sins, to use Dante's word, to suggest what they did wrong. Look at how this guy is. He's throat, so he's he's run through, so he can't speak. Well, he can if he holds his windpipe open, but he can't speak. His nose is gashed off, and especially if you take the symbolic meaning of nose in medieval literature, that is something which senses what's ahead. His nose is gashed off, and he's got only one ear, so he can only partially hear. Dante wouldn't really know about echolocation and those kind of problems. Instead, this would be the idea that this guy's hearing is somehow impaired. So something that this fellow did causes his speech, his perception, and his hearing to be off if we accept a symbolic meaning of the way these fellows are hacked up in the ninth bit. And you'll see, we should probably accept that there is a symbolic meaning here. And again, I wish we were having a glass of wine, or again, in my case, a bourbon, or a glass of iced tea, or fizzy water, or whatever you want, so that we could talk about this, because I bet you could come up with more reasons why throat, nose, and ears might be hacked off a person, and more symbolic ways that might indicate the nature of this one's problems up above on earth. He says, hey, you, not condemned by guilt. Remember, Virgil said 
This one is not dead. He's not being led along toward torment or being led along by his guilt. And this guy in now the second figure to speak in this bit says, hey, you not condemned by guilt. I have to wonder what the tone is there. Is it defensive? Is it sarcastic? Is it like, hey, you, you know, supposedly not condemned by guilt? Or is it part of the wonder? Hey, you, not condemned by guilt? I saw you up on Italian soil, unless some likeness to you has tricked me. Interesting that we don't have a lead on the tone there. Also interesting that this is one of the few sinners in hell who recognize the pilgrim from life above. That's going to play into what happens next because it helps us unpack who this fellow is. He goes on to say, remember Pierre da Medicina. Ah, who is Pierre da Medicina? Well, we don't know. This is an incredibly important point, and I want to sit on this point for a minute. But before I sit on the point that we don't really know who this is, let me just unpack what this Pierre does say. He says, if you ever go back to see that sweet plain that slopes down from Vercelli to Marcarbo, so if you ever get back up on earth and see the Italian plains themselves, then let the two top guys of Fano, Messieurs Guido and Agnolello, know this. That's Guido del Casero and Agnolello di Carignano. These are two figures involved, perhaps, in political intrigue, although they, too, are difficult historically to pin down. He mentions these two figures, Alfano, tells them, you know, watch out, unless our foresight here is worthless. Remember, we've been told that the dam can see ahead. We've been told that even by Ferranata, that they can see the immediate future. And then he says what'll happen. They'll be thrown off their ship in a weighted sack near Catolica. There's a famous lighthouse in Catolica and very menacing waters in these straits. Thanks to the treachery of a menacing tyrant. This may be, but again, it is historically difficult. It may be Malatestino of Ramini. We've already talked about Malatestino of Ramini when Dante gave his overview of the tyrants of Romagna back in Canto 27. The interesting thing here is the weighted sack. In Matthew 18, 6, Jesus said, It is better that a millstone be hung around the neck of a guy than that he had, should cause the innocent to stumble, thereby bringing us back to the idea of scandalon, the rock in the path here, a millstone around the neck, and that they're in a weighted sack brings us back to that scandal territory. Again, not like People Magazine, but more like a stumbling block in the journey of faith. The figure goes on to say, between the islands of Cyprus and Mallorca, that is the entire extent of the Mediterranean as far as Dante is concerned. So from one end to the other of the Mediterranean, 
Neptune has never seen such malfeasance, neither committed by pirates nor by Greeks. This is just something that allegedly is so terrible. These guys put in a weighted sack and tossed off a ship, perhaps by Malatestino of Ramini. The reason we think it may be him is because it says the traitor who sees with only one eye and holds the city. Well, that is in fact Malatestino. He does only have one eye from a battle scar and holds the city that is going to become apparent that it's Ramini that he's talking about, which someone down here with me wishes he'd never lays, laid eyes on. That figure is up next. We'll bring them all in for detente, and then we'll handle them so that they will never need to pray or make vows to save them from the winds of Focara. One of the things I want you to notice about what Pierre da Medicina says is uh, it's contorted. The storytelling is not straightforward. So he says, you know, hey, if you ever get back up, warn these two guys. And then he tells the end of the story. They'll be thrown off a ship in a weighted site near Catolica, thanks to the treachery of a menacing tyrant. Then he throws in an aside, no parts of the whole Mediterranean, even including those wily Greeks, you know, Dante and those Greeks, those wily Greeks have ever seen anything this bad. And then he goes back and tells how it happens. This traitor with only one eye, that's got to be this menacing tyrant who holds the city, which someone down here with me wishes he'd never lay his eyes on. It's just interrupting the material and making the sense of it very jerky. We'll bring them all in for detente. So this Malatestino, if we've got the historical references right, calls them in for a meeting, you know, to kind of work out a truce between these leading citizens of Fano and the and the leader of Ramini. He pulls a fast one on them, gets them in a bag, gets them aboard a ship and throws them overboard with weights. It's not told right. It's got all kinds of hurdy-gurdy, jerky bits inside of it, including a reference to the next guy in the pit. Someone down here with me wishes he'd never laid eyes on it. It's important to see this in the schismatics, that the telling of the tale is so convoluted. Think about Ulysses. Think about how straightforward Ulysses' tale is. And then think about this. And think about how Guido de Montefeltro's tale is broken. We talked about that in the episodes in which Guido featured. In between Ulysses and these guys who are really broken up, remember, Muhammad's speech is incredibly broken apart, and I had to kind of rearrange the lines to make it make sense. Between them lies Guido de Montefeltro. So we get a very linear narrative, a kind of linear narrative, and then these guys in this pit that just can't seem to tell a straight story or can't seem to get their lines in the right order. In this warning to these two fellows from Fano, Pierre brings up Neptune. Between the islands of Cyprus and Majorca, Neptune has never seen such great malfeasance, neither committed by pirates nor by Greeks. Not God. Neptune. It's an interesting classical reference sitting here. Of course, Neptune plays big into Homeric tales, which Dante would only know about secondhand, particularly into the Odyssey. Perhaps this is a moment in which we're calling back to Ulysses in some linking gesture inside of comedy. Perhaps we're being told that Pierre da Medicina is not a Christian, 
because he's not attributing, uh, what do I want to say, oversight to God. He's attributing it to Neptune. Perhaps the classical reference is Pierre trying to show off his learning about the Mediterranean. That could be. It could be a poetic gesture by the poet to show off his recognition of the classical foundations of his own poetry. It's just a curious reference, Neptune, inside this passage. It sits there with rarely a comment by any of the commentators in tradition, and I always find it jumps right off the page to me. Neptune. Hmm. We've come a long way since we were just easily talking of the Greek and Roman gods. It seems here a bit in a strange spot, and I always wondered, is it saying something about Pierre? Is it saying something about the poet? Is it saying something about classical learning? Is it saying something about religious orientation? Just not sure. Part of the obscurity of this passage. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Pierre da Medicina. Medicina is a town between Imola and Bologna, and Nothing really more can be said about this figure. An early commentator on comedy, Benvenuto da Imola, claims he had actually met this Pierre da Medicina. Benvenuto makes a lot of claims in his commentary. Hmm, questionable. Do we really trust him? He claims that this figure, Pierre, uh, was part of the political schisms among the warlords of Rimini, particularly Malatesta of Rimini and Guido da Polenta. Remember, we've already encountered them in Dante's referencing to the tyrants of Romagna, and we've already encountered them earlier because Guido da Polenta is Francesca's father, the Francesca of the Lustful, and Malatesta of Remini is Francesca's father-in-law and her lover Paolo's father. This whole bit is previously referenced inside comedy. We don't actually know that that's the truth. It is what Benvenuto says, and most commentators now accept it. But I think there's a really important point for us to make, sitting right here, listening to this podcast, working on these texts, looking at them from afar. Here's the point. We need to realize the historical gap between us and the poem. After all, this poem, Inferno, it's over 700 years old, 710, 712, 714. It's, it's very old, and there is a lot of history between us. It is very dim to see back into a late medieval past in which records were not kept they, as they are today. That strikes me as very important. And while it may be frustrating, ultimately, to try to come to terms with exactly who Pierre da Medicina is, he seems to have known Dante. He says, I saw you up above on Italian soil. Maybe uh, Dante eventually is taken in by the Polentas and is safeguarded by them. Is some connection made there between the Polentas and Dante? Maybe, I mean, the guy does make the claim that he knew Dante up above. So that does help us to place him as an exact contemporary. But again, 
this is a good warning. We've talked a lot about the ways that we can bring comedy up into the modern world. I have banged on and on about the theology of wonder. I've talked about moving the fence. I've talked about the way Dante rethinks his own premises, the way Dante reworks theology. I've talked endlessly about it, and I've tried constantly to bring this up into our world. But this is a great place to just stop and say, this isn't our world. This is a world over 700 years ago in the Italian peninsula, riven by war, destroyed by the Papal States, the French, and the Holy Roman Empire, destroyed by its own civil wars, some of which Dante himself took part in. All of that to say, it's a long way from us. And if sometimes the comedy seems obscure, or sometimes it seems difficult, Let's just hold that as a good thing. Let's hold that, hmm, as the damn do here, in wonder. Because we can step back and say, holy crow, something this old has survived. Something this old stands speaking to us. We may not understand its every word, but our attention to it does not have to be driven by a neoclassical rationalism Rather, we can wonder that something this old has survived intact and still, yes indeed, still speaks to the likes of you and me. I'd just like to read the passage one more time. No funny voices, no sound effects, just to give you the passage again, and then we will be ready to go on with the rest of the schismatics Another guy who had his throat run through and his nose gashed up to his eyebrows and only a single ear left on his head stopped with the others and gazed at me with wonder. Before anyone else could do it, he pulled open his windpipe, just the spot still stained ruby red with his blood, and said, Hey you, not condemned by guilt. I saw you up above on Italian soil unless some likeness to you has tricked me. Remember Pierre da Medicina. If you ever go back to see that sweet plain that slopes down from Vercelli to Marcabo, and let the two top guys of Fano, Messieurs Guido and Agnolello, know this. Unless our foresight here is worthless, they'll be thrown off their ship in a weighted sack near Catolica, thanks to the treachery of a menacing tyrant. Between the islands of Cyprus and Majorca, Neptune has never seen such great malfeasance, neither committed by pirates nor by Greeks. The traitor who sees with only one eye and holds the city, which someone down here with me wishes he'd never laid eyes on, will bring them all in for detente. And then we'll handle them so that they will never need to pray or make vows to save them from the winds off Focara. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, Walking with Dante. I say that all the time, don't I? Well, I do hope you enjoy it. I hope you are on this walk for sheer entertainment and enjoyment values, as well as learning about the comedy, as well as working through it line by line. I'm certainly having a great time doing that. I am Oh, wow. Having so much fun, spending so much time thinking about these passages or reading so many of the old commentators, reading new scholarly essays on them, all trying to figure this out in some way and find my way through what is at times a very obscure and other times a very present poem. Please subscribe to this podcast and please read it. Even uh, ratings such as Great Podcasts 
does wonders for the analytics and really helps me. I am, as I've told you a million times, unsupported, and I can use all the help that you can give me. Come back. We're about to see more schismatics in this pit. Pierre's already told us somebody else is here who wishes he'd never laid eyes on that city. But we got to see all of them and many more up ahead on the podcast, Walking with Dante. I'm Mark Scarborough, and I'll see you real soon. Mm-hmm.